Hi, hi everyone. My name is Neil Westfall. You may know me from such places as twitch.tv slash neilwestfall44, or maybe you saw me performing at a local venue near you with my band of data member. I'm here on this podcast with Adam Elmachias, the amazing photographer who's sponsored by Sigma Lenses. And here is how we're starting this week's podcast with Nate Northway, the amazing sound guy for Rise Against and that the best band to ever be created a day to remember. Yes, that was a really good intro. We should let you intro every week. Nate is he's basically the tiger of a day to remember. He takes everything you guys create and controls the sound that the audience hears at the venue. And we call that a live audio engineer or front of house front of house guy or gal. Yes. So he does that. And it's a very important job. Tell us about that job, Neil. Go for it. Basically, you know, when you go into a venue and you hear those amazing sounds coming from those big black boxes in front of you, Nate controls all of that. He's responsible for every sound that comes out of that, whether it's the intro music, whether it's the music that you hear in between bands or the actual band itself. He controls all of those things. He makes sure everyone sounds as good as possible every single day, no matter the size capacity of venue, the weird shape of the venue. It's his job to make sure that everyone sounds the same and by the same, it's the best. Yeah. And because he has such a big responsibility, it's also kind of a stressful job. You have to have a really good ear. You have to understand what the band wants, what the goals are, how they want to sound live. Because not only is he mixing them and checking everything at soundcheck, but during the live show, he's actually doing a live mix. So he's switching how things sound during certain parts and making it sound like Neil said the best from all areas of the venue. That being said, if something goes wrong, people in the audience do know he usually gets the blame. So <laughs> it's a pretty high stress job. As he should, because like the people in the band never mess up and it's usually always the front of house guy's fault. I mean, I'm just saying that from someone in a band. I know. Trust me. We don't fuck up. It's usually the front of house guy. 100% of the time you work 50% of the time. We're 100% perfect always. 100% perfect always. All right, cool. Sorry I misspoke there with my percentages. Yeah, it was close. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. You know, being a front of house guy a lot of it falls on you and sometimes every once in a while a front of house guy is out there in the middle of the venue and they just need a little compliment if you see him out there walk up to him say hey man you're great hey woman you're great at what you're doing and this is awesome and i truly appreciate you and you know that goes a long way because a lot of times people just throw stuff at them or yell at them for doing bad stuff and not enough people go up and say hey man you're awesome hey gal you really rock at this job and sometimes it really helps so do that when you go to a show from now on yes i like that that's a good suggestion and speaking of being awesome we just want to welcome our new patron for the week we've got Liv. thanks for joining us Liv. you know what Liv tyler lived her whole life without knowing her dad was steven tyler and then when she was older she found out you know what this one goes out to you Liv. thanks for supporting our podcast and this also goes out to Liv tyler for being awesome without even knowing it nate northway is awesome this conversation is really cool because it gives you some in-depth look at what it takes to be a front of house engineer and there's no one better at this job than nate northway i know because i hired nate personally for a day to remember not really but kind of and it's also one of those things that i don't really know if nate does a good job because i'm always playing on stage so it's really up to you guys to tell us if nate does a good job or not so listen to this podcast and have a great time and also don't forget eat your vegetables often thank you
We're here today. We just listened to Kevin fucking shred that wheels on the bus as he does every single time. Last podcast we did, we talked about how we bring Kevin in every podcast to play it specifically just for us. And that rendition was for you, Nate, specifically. That's very nice of him to make the time to do that. Actually, what just happened is you said get on the bus, Neil, because that intro happens. Then we do our intro. Then get on the bus happens. Then now we're on the bus with Nate talking to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, this bus is crazy. It looks like four different houses. <laughs> I like this bus. This is an all right bus. If we could figure out how to tour, but then go back to our own home every night, like that's like some next level shit. Like just with like, you know, teleportation or something. I don't know. That's a lot of not sleeping. I'll go on some Kanye tangents right now, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just got to get that Vegas residency. You can go and sleep in a nice comfy bed every night. Stationary bed. That'd be awesome. I'll say this. I would give just about anything to sleep in a moving bus right now. Seriously. I think that a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, they don't know what they're missing when it comes to sleeping on something that vibrates and moves and like gives you that nice little like it like kind of like rocks you to sleep every single night and you get that cold with the warm blanket and you get to be completely dark it's like it's the best sleep that everyone who's listening has never had but hopefully one day they will experience it and it'll be something they look forward to i was thinking about like you know you always see like new parents which neil you might be experiencing this now you know new parents taking babies out into the car to drive them around and rock them to sleep you know it's the same thing yep it's something that you know my mom probably did when I was a kid and now it's like ingrained in your like reptile part of your brain where you're like I need to be jiggled a little bit while I am a little tired to fall asleep but yes you're right it's great sleep it is yeah I miss it I also like I mean we kind of came to this conclusion on the podcast in an earlier episode but I really like going to bed close to all my friends and then waking up close to all my friends it's nice it's a sleepover I'm always used to going to bed and then waking up and everyone's gone because I slept till like 3 30 p.m and everyone's like we decided to start our life like three hours ago and you won't wake up so we just left without you i've definitely seen some of those days where you roll in at like 3 p.m and just got out of bed it doesn't happen very often that 3 p.m stuff but it happens see i like that you notice that there is times where i am better than most people would like to think i am nate <laughs> Everyone's like, Neil's lazy. I'm like, nah. No one says, I mean, maybe they say, I don't know. Maybe it's just like this self-conscious thing. I don't think you're lazy. Lazy or efficient? You be the judge. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. You know what I mean? Like just if you sleep more than you're packing more into the time that you're awake. Is that what you mean by efficient? Exactly. Efficiency could be dumbed down to laziness, right? Like if you do something in the laziest way possible, sometimes it's the most efficient way. Like sometimes they're the same thing. They're like, I don't really like moving too much. So like, I'm only going to take one trip to do this instead of seven. Correct. That's the laziest way to do it, but it's also the most efficient. These are Kanye thoughts. I think it was from a Malcolm Gladwell book, one of the books of Malcolm. I think it was something like that. But wait, Nate, when did you start Touring the Day to Remember? Wasn't it long ago, but not that long ago, right? No, it was like 2015, I think. It was before that, I feel like. No, it was after Jeff. 2014, maybe. Yeah, it was right after Jeff Kaplan. RIP to the legend. Let's all say just, you know, respects to, to Jeff. We all miss him dearly. Respects. But very happy to have Nate come on and continue the good vibes. Happy to be here. What was the first tour? Was it uh, Ghost Inside Canada? The first tour I did with you guys was, I think it was European Festivals. I did a show with you guys in Arizona where you oh, yeah. headlined over the offspring, which I thought was totally badass. Well, that was horrifying. They wouldn't let us play before them. And they're like, that's a whole story in itself. But yeah, I was like, I'll let Neil tell this one if he wants to. I mean, they literally paid us money to play after them, which I know is what happens. But like we were booked to play before them. And they're like, look, we played after you at another festival and we're not doing that again. And we're like, OK, well, we don't want to play after you because you're the, the fucking offspring. <laughs> like you're pretty fly for a white guy. You know, like we're just 
like all I want. You know what I mean? It's like those things are different. Yeah. Well, I don't think the offspring was rocking fire and confetti and all that kind of stuff either, though. So, you know, it pays to invest in your show is all I'm saying. Like you can have not as good a music and you put fire up there and people are like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm just saying it worked for Iron Maiden. I'm just a huge offspring fan. So that was just like in itself. What the fuck moment for me and my whole career of what the fuck moment. So well, I'm glad I could be there for it. I thought it was rad. We got so many compliments on how well we sounded that show. That's the one thing. So as an artist talking to the front of house guy, I can never be like, man, you did a really great job because I have no fucking idea. Like, I think that no artist knows how good their front of house guy is unless someone tells them. And so, well, you can kind of tell, right? You look at the fans, if they're enjoying it, I guess, to an extent, they don't know on, you know, on the level of science, but if everyone's turning around, looking at the sound guy, then, you know, you might have a problem. <laughs> what? You <the> know? <laughs> it takes a lot for somebody in general pop or even myself to like understand like something's going wrong with the audio and it's not just cones or whatever but like that kind of speaks to my point is like it takes a lot for people to be like this is not good you know because a lot of times i've been to a bunch of really bad sounding shows and i'm just a fan of music and i'm like that was sick whatever it was there was a vibe happening with the crowd and it didn't fucking matter that you couldn't really hear anything because it was just happening there's been times where we've had great shows and people have been like holy shit you guys sounded amazing and we're like we did hell yeah yeah, we did. Because there's also been times where we played really well and we're like, damn, we did really good. And then you get off stage and people are like, I hate to tell you, but uh, <laughs> your guitar wasn't coming through to the front. So, and I'm like, fuck. That's one advantage to being the front of house guys. Like no one wants to tell the band that they sounded bad. Everyone wants to tell them when they sound good. But it's like, you know, if I have an off night or something, it's not like someone's going to seek the band out and be like, <laughs> just wasn't quite up to snuff today. Like you guys sounded like you were doing okay, but the sound. <laughs> You're right, though. People only notice when something's going horribly wrong. Usually it's kind of a good thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, I did have that happen that one time when Travis Barker came up to play with you guys. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this. And it was like, one, two, three, four, PA cut out. Nothing. It was awful. And that was a moment where like, I think it was a Barclay arena or something. It's like, you know, 20,000 people or whatever was there. That was a moment when they were all looking at me. And I'm like, you know, shrinking back behind the console. <laughs> that was a horrifying moment in general, just because Travis is like, we're like, hey, you want to play a song list? And he's like, yeah, like, this is what he said. I haven't played double bass in 16 years since I was like learning some Metallica or something like that. And we're like, oh, okay. And he's like, I want to play Second Sucks with you. And we're like, well, holy fuck fuck okay that's a kind of an advanced one for not playing double kick because it's like the whole song is like whatever you know and he just comes in and just kind of nailed it like but also like the pa went out so no one even fucking knew <laughs> yo what if he had daniel unplug something mm -hmm. you're like let me put on my tinfoil hat real quick <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Travis Barker here. I'm sure he nailed it. I would never know, though. No, but that's what I'm saying is like, because we practiced it with him. And Daniel is his tech, just so everybody knows. Before we went on stage, he had this practice kit and we ran through it in our dressing room and he did. He killed it. He did a really good job. And we're just like, holy shit. There has been times where Travis has like broke his arm and he's like, well, I'm not going to cancel the tour. I'm just going to play with my other foot. And we're like, OK, <laughs> he just is so talented. that He can do these things where he's like, I'm going to play with you guys today. And I haven't done this skill before, but I'm going to learn it before playing in front of 20,000 people 
people and everyone's going to be really happy. It's just that's probably one of those things that kind of comes along with, you know, the way that he works with every artist who he's into. He's just like, yo, I'll come on tour and play drums for you or, you know, let's collab on a song or whatever. And so he can do anything. He really can. Uh, well, I mean, should we just have Travis Barker come on? I mean, I'll give him a call really quick and see if he'll just hop on real quick with us. Travis would say yes. Travis would be like, yes, I'll, I'm going to put a hold on this session. I'll be right there. Okay, wait. I know when you started touring with the data, remember, we know when that started, but when did you start working in the music industry at all? Like, what did you do? Were you in a band? Were you working at a church? Like, what's your vibe? Yeah, so I started playing in bands when I was very young, you know, 12, 13 years old. I think I started my first terrible garage band, you know? Yeah. And that eventually translated into, hey, we need to record. And that, you know, I kind of taught myself how to do that. Actually started getting paid to record and that kind of thing around 2000 two or so. Oh, nice. I think. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it was cool. I just had like, you know, some local bands with handing out their CDs and whatnot. People started coming to me for whatever their recording and mixing needs were. And uh, that eventually led me to a guy at a local venue here in St. Louis. They had an opening there and he's like, Hey, you ought to come try and do live sound. I was like, no, man, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds hard. I ended up doing it and fell in love with it. And it was like, once I started doing that, you know, the studio time got less and less and less. And then once I took my first tour, it was kind of, yeah. Wait, how'd you get your first tour? So I played in a band with, do you guys know Josh Travis? Yes, absolutely. The guy, he's in like seven bands. Everything badass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Currently plays with the Muir. Tony Danza, Glass Cloud. Tony Danza, tap dancer, extravaganza. He's a badass. Very good, yeah. Yeah, oh, he's great. I saw one of those guys get arrested for having nunchucks. Anyway. He put me in touch with a guy who was looking for a touring sound engineer for Born of Osiris on their first ever headliner. Rose Krantz. Yeah. He got in touch with me and said, hey, uh, Josh, put me in touch with you. Do you want to go on tour? I was like, yep. <laughs> yes, I do. And that was the beginning of rolling around in vans and not sleeping and drinking way too much. And, you know, just fun debauchery that it is. And in, in the beginning of it was great before it all takes a toll on your body and you're like, I can't do a van anymore. Well, and before it's like, you know, oh, this is a job and I have been doing this for two years now and I need to like really, you know, start taking this seriously. If there's any kind of longevity in, in touring from I same thing. I mean, I think everyone kind of coming from that world is like, this is really fun and we're with my friends and we're going to have fun. And then it's like, oh, shit, we got to like wake up tomorrow and it like it never ends. And then you got to start drinking green juice and shit. Yeah. You know, from the crew side, I feel like they're comes a point where I'm being offered real money now. This isn't like, you know, they need to fill a space and have someone to twist knobs. It's like, you know, they actually want someone to be professional. And so it's like, okay, I better step up or they're going to pay that money to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that I think goes for all crew jobs. You go from like that friendly vibe of, you know, we're out here partying and having fun and going city to city to eventually it's like, okay, I'm making real money. I love what I do. If I want to continue doing this, like you say, have that longevity, then I need to stop, you know, drinking myself to sleep every night and start to take it a little bit more seriously, I guess you'd say. Well, too, because it's like, you know, you go from like the band who's doing the same things as you, you're hanging out every day to having like a boss of like a manager or a business manager or someone being like, hey, we're trying to like make sure that this makes sense. And if we're paying this, these people money, you know, we got to be expecting a certain level of quality. There is a moment where that starts to take effect. And that's with any industry, you know, it goes from like, hey, we're friends to, hey, this is a job and we expect a certain level of quality every single night. And then can you really stick it out when, you know, you have to grow and learn on your own and start doing something a little bit more than what's worked so far? 
far, you have to switch it into professional gear. Yeah. Well, and for me, to be honest, that was kind of the point that really solidified that this is what I want to do. You know, it was like before that it was like, this is something I'm doing for now. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to be touring with friends and, and all that. And then, um, you know, once it got to the point to where it's like people expected things of me, that's where it was like, man, I can deliver on this. I'm excited to deliver on this, you know? Yeah. You're gaining that like positive affirmation and that positive like outcome. That's like the thing that excites you rather than like, oh, where are we going to party tonight? It's like, no, you're kind of gaining like these things, you know? I mean, that is for me. Like I used to like kind of always like look for like those little pieces of serotonin release and then they start to come from different places, which is kind of nice, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's that feeling kind of when you do something with a group of coworkers and you see that what you have done has made their lives better, has made the show better, has made you know, the, the whole organization, you know, kind of go to that next level. That's, that's the rewarding part of this job. You know, it's, we did it. That's exactly it. And it, there's that little bit of, we did it, that small victory every night on tour, you know, and that's something I personally have really missed this last year is having those, like you say, those, that little serotonin release, small victory every night. We've never really talked about it on the podcast yet, which is kind of cool that you bring that up. It's like every day is a small victory because it's a, it's a massive feat to move a huge production in some cases, hundreds of miles, set it up on time. Like even like hitting those little deadlines every single day of like, it's sound check at 4 p.m. If you're ready at 4 p.m., that's like kind of a miracle most of the time. And a lot of times the band has no idea. Like we're like, we roll in and we're like, yeah, shit's set up. All right, sick. It's supposed to be cool. All right, we're here. And like before we get there, it's like hectic and everyone's like, oh, fuck. And then like hitting that little thing is like, yeah, you get those little those little victories. That's kind of rad. I never thought about that. Well, you know, it's something that your listeners might not even be aware of is how fast these things get set up too. You know, it's like I have family members and friends and stuff who, you know, when the subject of my job comes up are shocked that we do a show every day. You know, it's like, yeah, well, the truck closes at 2 a.m. and then, you know, opens at 6 a.m. the next day and it's like we start all over again and so wild if the booking agent is good it's a logistical miracle it's like it all lines up perfectly if it's like done correctly and obviously we've all been on tours where the booking agent isn't so good but the dartboard tours or just done warp tour in general we're gonna have you in kansas city tonight and then we're gonna see what's happening in new york city the next day (laughs) (laughs) have fun yeah (laughs) they're like in their office they're like (laughs) yeah that should be fun it's easy to think of them as like the villain you know, like, like, you're like, I can't sleep. Like you need someone to blame when it's really hard, you know, and you can just like make it that shadowy figure that no one really knows. Like the booking agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like ticket master and processing fees. They take the fall. I mean, the funny thing is to uh, anyone who comes to the tour, they have no idea, right? Like they think that their date is like the date and it's like hard and hard to like understand that it's like, you're like in the middle of a 30 date tour and you're like date number 17 and it's just as important as any other date. But at the same time, it's like also in the middle of a week where there's like four other shows and like we said, the booking agent booked you in Kansas City the night before and it's now like you're in fucking Maine or something, some ridiculous thing where it's like you can't make it, but somehow you did and (laughs) you're just like happy to be there. It reminds me of and I don't know if you have this where you're from, Nate, because we're kind of from similar places like I'm Wisconsin, St. Louis. I don't know. Did you guys have UltraZone when you were younger at all? UltraZone? No. AutoZone? UltraZone. Okay, so it's a laser tag place, right? And it's like you go and you get briefed and you play a laser tag game and when you're a kid, it's like, you know, I saved up my eight bucks or I got an eight today and I'm going to go and I'm going to do this thing. And it's like the highlight 
highlight of my day. But then you get there and you get the briefing and you know the person's done it like 300 times. And they're doing it like 10 <laughs> times that day. And you can just tell they're like going through the motions. But for you, it's your freaking ultra zone match. And that's how like on a very small scale reminds you of touring. It's like, I didn't know that when I was a kid until I was older. It's like, and I, there's no reason I needed to know that. It's not relevant to my experience. But you know, those people that worked there made it seem like it was the best thing ever when I had my 15 minutes to play laser tag. I think it's, touring is a very hard thing to do. Doing it at a basic level is still very hard and it takes a lot of skill and a lot of camaraderie, a lot of teamwork, but doing it at an elevated level from that, making everyone feel like their date was the date and going out there even when you had a shitty day or you're fucking tired or maybe you did party the night before and you feel hungover and you still kill it like you still do it on a level of like 100 to everyone that's the difference on this upper level of touring you know it's important it is and i think that kind of goes back you know what we were talking about earlier with you know everyone kind of pulling their weight so like you know you have other people around you who aren't feeling so bad and they're stoked and they're having a good day and they're like excited for this show and it's like they're kind of uplifting you to to get through but that is an important thing to remember i think it's easy to lose sight of sometimes that this is a big deal this particular show is a big deal to the fans who are there to watch you know it may not be the big deal show to you but it's the big deal show to them so it's you know especially like somewhat creative side of the job that i'm in it's like it's i have to try to keep that in the forefront of my mind you know because that if i'm just up there just turn it on and let it go. It's like your show isn't going to translate to a day to remember fans. You know what I mean? The way that you want it to, the way that they're expecting, you know, if you don't have people who are trying to make it the best that they can. Would you say that you're also performing every single night that you get up there? Yeah, I have serious show anxiety sometimes about it because it's, you know, there's a performance aspect to what I do. And it's not like, like we were talking about earlier, no one's looking at me. No one's, I'm watching you. Well, yeah, you, of course you come back every once in a while and you look at me and you go, is it okay? Can I, can I get up here in front of you? <laughs> can I stand on your shoulders? Yeah, it is a performance. And it's like, there's that anxiety level about it because there's always the possibility of something go going wrong and whether it's or not, it's my fault. It's my fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, or at least that's the way that it feels. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, <laughs> it's like one of those, I do. I'm saying it's like. I know. Because it's just funny. Yeah. Anyway. I fine. know. I know. No, I was saying it's funny because when Nate is probably like something goes wrong and it's getting blamed on Nate or it's falling on him, like, well, you're his boss. So like, you're probably the person that's upset maybe sometimes. So that's why I was kind of laughing that that was happening, if that makes sense. Well, like, I mean, to go back to what we said earlier too, it's like most of the time I don't fucking know. <laughs> Even if the PA is out, I'm up there in my own world. I got in ears in. I'm like, I'm like looking at people. I'm like, why don't you like this? <laughs> you usually like this. What's happening? I don't, nothing's going on in here. I can still hear everything. Jeremy's fucking singing. Alex is playing. I'm playing. You don't like it. What the fuck? Do I look weird today? Am I fat? Like, what's the deal? And we should explain real fast. Neil, how come you can't tell what's going on? Because, you know, when you're playing a show, you are behind the PA. And if you've listened to any of the other podcasts, we talked to Charlie Bybee, who runs the monitors, which is what I am listening to. It's two separate systems completely. And a lot of times the things that are heard out front, they are also being played in the in-ears, but it can change drastically and they don't rely on each other. So if the PA in the front goes out, obviously everyone in the crowd would know. But if the monitors are still rocking, everyone on stage is like, we're chilling. These people just hate us. Okay. 
and we won't know till the end of the show. And Nate's like, yeah, so third song in uh, PA didn't work or the kick drum wasn't there. And, you know, it's really weird to kind of like rock out to a band that doesn't have a kick drum. So I understand, you know, there are those occasional moments, too, where the monitor engineer will forget to mute my mic. And I know you have heard me before go, where's Neil's guitar? Where's Neil's guitar? Yelling at the crew who, you know, the band isn't supposed to be hearing that. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You're like, I'm holding it. I'm literally holding it. I can always tell when that happens because you just like, or whoever, you know, will dart over to their tech. What's going on? Who's got my guitar where? Well, I mean, moving forward, I like all these conversations we're having, but we got to get down to some, some important things as to overview of the skills required and the daily responsibilities as front of house engineer is the right term. I just call you front of house all the time. Yeah, front of house sound guy, front of house engineer, whatever. I like to go with whatever sounds like the most professional just to like, you know, I'm just like gassing them up a little bit. Like I like to do that with all my friends. It's pretty badass. Engineer, engineer sounds like, you know, that's some important stuff. He's a badass or whatever. He's got that sick title. What are the skills required? Like what do you have to be able to do? Yeah, like what do you do to get into being a front of house engineer? I think everyone's path is different as far as getting into it goes, but I feel like for the most part, it's something that music are drawn to, you know, people who enjoy playing music, eventually enjoy recording, mixing music, whatever. But as far as like skills that you have to have to kind of get started on it, I think it's listening is the most important thing, being able to hear an entire mix. You know, if you're listening to a CD, for example, and being able to differentiate that there's a kick drum and a snare drum and toms and guitars and a vocal and all these separate pieces are what makes the whole. Not that, you know, I feel like the majority of of, of music listeners just hear the song. They don't hear those individual pieces. And I think that people who are drawn to doing things that I do actually listen and, and kind of pick out those different parts. All the details and... Well, yeah, it's... I talk about it like you're listening to the big picture, but listening to all the little individual pieces at the same time. And that's what mixing is. You can't lose sight of any one of those small little pieces or the big picture. It's very easy to get focused in. As an analogy to what you do, Adam, I would imagine that when you're editing photos, it's real easy to get sucked into, you know, adjusting shadows. And then all of a sudden you've lost sight of the composition or whatever, you know? That's a good analogy. I like that. We got a lot of photographers that listen, so that'll help. Being able to balance those different things like detail versus big picture, versus things working together. It's all important. Very important. And, you know, it's it's also important to remember that when you're mixing a band, especially, just because something sounds great by itself, that doesn't mean that it's going to translate into the song. The whole band together, like your guitar might sound awesome when it's just you playing, but... Usually does. Then when the whole band kicks in, it's, you know, taking frequencies that are needed for the vocal or, you know, whatever. That is a thing that is like, if you can kind of go into it knowing that stuff, like that's sick. I mean, like I've been playing music for however long and I still have trouble understanding that. Uh, you've got, you need to give yourself a little more credit than that. You've got a pretty good. It's not something that was a skill that I had. It was something that I learned as I kind of went along. It was, uh, it was one of those skills that was like, there was definitely a, an aha moment because before the aha moment, I literally, it was like black magic to me. Like I had no idea what you did. I'm just like, whatever you just turned made it sound it went from crap to like amazing beautiful i'm like yes you know and then like once i was like oh okay there's a frequency band and there's can only be so many things that can excite certain frequencies before they start to take away from other things in the same frequency band 
Okay, so with that being said, how important is training your ear to frequencies and how important is understanding those EQ kind of situations to being a front of house guy? I mean, understanding what an EQ sounds like and what it does to the source material is very important. But as far as like training your ear goes, it's something that after you've done it for a long time, you know, you don't really have to do anymore because you just know. You get muscle memory if you're a typist, for example, you know what I mean? You don't have to practice it. But when I was first starting out, you know, one of the engineers that I was kind of apprenticing under gave me a CD of all the sine waves, which is just, you know, of each individual frequency on a 31 band EQ. And I'd play that in my car on my way to work, you know, driving, listening to 80 Hertz, you know, <laughs> yeah. just so I can identify what it sounds like when those frequencies start feeding back you know, which is always a concern as a live sound engineer, or, you know, it also helps with identifying what frequencies are poking out in the mix and you need to get rid of them with an EQ. That makes sense. That stuff to me was always just, I never understood it before I understood it, if that makes sense. You know, like I think there's some concepts where you can kind of have an idea without really fully understanding the concept, but like the idea of frequencies and EQ for people that even understand like those basic concepts, like EQ is like the manipulation of certain sounds with in a sound to make that sound sound better or to take away things that are fighting with other frequencies, I guess, you know, at its most basic level, you know, it's that basement treble that you have on your stereo, you know, or on your guitar amp. Yep. Yeah. You yep. know, that's how a lot of guitarists understand EQ, by the way, that, you know, their Mesa Boogie reacts when they turn up the bass or whatever. And then, you know, kind of what you're saying, eventually, if you start paying attention to the more, the finer points of that, then you can understand, you know, what an actual EQ does, you know, when you sweep frequencies and, you know, what those high, high frequencies sound like when you excite them. So with that being said, how important is knowing like analog gear or mixing boards or digital gear, any of that getting into being a uh, front of house engineer? Well, honestly, now I think it's most important to be familiar with digital mixing consoles or practices or, you know, however you're planning on getting into this, you know, whether it's on a computer or on a console or whatever, digital is the way of the future. Uh, it's not necessarily the way that sounds best, but it's the way that is cheapest. Yeah. So it's the way that the industry moves. And honestly, it's getting better and better and harder to tell when you're processing digitally versus analog. But that said, I do think that it's important to understand what it sounds like to turn a knob, yep. you know, because I've seen a lot of mixers, you know, in the studio and in the live world who, you know, point and click and drag frequencies around on a mouse, which is great that you have the ability to do that, but it also detracts from your ability to identify a frequency without hearing it. So if you have to sweep a frequency up and down to find it, that's going to be not the best way to handle it during a show if you need to get rid of something. You know what I mean? It's like the show's going on. It's like... <laughs> it's important to understand what the tools do analog or digital the avenue to get there i don't think is really important anymore so listening adjusting what you have to listen to are more or less the main skills that you need to do this job then once you have those skills and you're on tour what are the responsibilities that you kind of have to do every day no matter what day it is you know 
obviously I know you have to go to catering and all that stuff, but I mean like as a front of house audio engineer, what do you need to do every day throughout the day? Well, obviously there's the show at the most basic level. That's what you do. You mix the show, translate the band to the audience before that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it from setting up the equipment on all levels of touring. There's some setup to be done, you know, whether it's just setting up microphones or whether it's setting up a PA or whatever. And then there's testing and tuning that, which basically means the same PA doesn't sound the same in different rooms. So someone has to listen to it in that room and adjust it accordingly to, you know, the reflections that you hear off the balcony or whatever it is. And then past that responsibilities are sound check, equipment maintenance. If you have stuff that breaks, you know, a lot of times on tour, you're inside, outside, inside, outside. So you might have a real dusty day in Texas. And then the next day you got to go through and clean all your gear out. Or a snowy day in Texas. Or a snowy day in Texas. I've heard that country song before, Dusty Day in Texas. (laughs) It's by Kevin Scaff. Of course it is. And I know that you mentioned prior and maybe this isn't with every artist nowadays. And Charlie said that he actually has to do this sometimes too, even with in-ears is you record a multi-track of the live show, right? And that falls upon the front of house engineer. I would say more so than monitor engineers, front of house engineers will multi-track record. And basically for your listeners, if they don't know what that means, it means that every single microphone that's on the stage, so there's a kick drum microphone and a snare drum microphone, and each guitar has its own microphone. You record all those individually. Basically what we do with that is a number of things. Number one, we archive. Sometimes the band just wants those recordings, you know, like I have about eight terabytes of a day to remember shows, for example. People would probably kill for that. Sounds like a threat, Neil. That sounds like a threat to me. Oh, there's no threat. We're the shit. But then beyond that, specifically to my job, those recordings are used for virtual sound check, which basically with the digital technology that's available today, you can play back last night's show, each of those individual mics through the actual mixing gear that I'm going to be using that night and get kind of a general picture of what everything's going to sound like. So the individual instruments, if I was having a problem with Neil's guitar last night, then I might bring it up in the PA the next day and kind of, you know, try and figure out, oh, did I step on something here? Or how did I mess this up or whatever? That recording is extremely valuable for that type of thing. Makes sense. If you don't have those types of things, if you don't have those recordings, you can only do your job when people are able to get up on stage and make noise. But doing what we do, sometimes the artist is flying for press or they're doing interviews or they're doing all this other stuff. They have meet and greets and the head shake. Well, there's a lot of stuff that could come up and every day it's different. So having those multi-track recordings to be able to do that, it allows you to do your job when you have time to do it rather than at the helm. Exactly right. It, it allows the, the artist to go handle business. You know, there's a lot that an artist does that on tour that has nothing to do with the show that's happening that night. So, you know, while you guys are away doing press or doing whatever it is, you don't have to be there for sound check. Right. I'm like, guys, Lincoln Park sound checking. Let's go. I like get in there. I'm like, no, they're not. Exactly. (laughs) Guys, not again. It's funny because like, even now that since COVID's happened, I would kill the sound check. And before this, it was like, let's just let the virtual sound check do it. Yo, I would fly to Poland in the middle of winter (laughs) just to do a sound check, right? Bro, you live in St. Louis. You'll fly anywhere just because it's so cold right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, hey, fly to Florida. It's like 72 degrees right now and sunny. So, okay. So 
Speaking about all the daily responsibilities that are required, you know, for a front of house manager, let's get into even more detail. Front of house manager? Yeah, he manages. I'm getting, dude, I'm gassing <laughs> him up, bro. You're a restaurant guy now. I, I can hear this. The front of house manager, that sounds like restaurant. That is actually me. restaurant speak. That is. <laughs> this guy does food service. That's all right, though. I get it. I understand what you mean. Damn it. So, Nate, what can you tell us exactly what a front of house engineer does even more detail on a daily basis? So like, kind of like, what do you do? right when you wake up in the morning, so. Average day, aside from, you know, the standards that everyone does, shower and whatnot, you know, the first thing that I will do is walk in and listen to the room, you know? If you're in an arena, you can tell a lot by the way that a case sounds when it hits the wall, you know, that... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No way. You can listen to the reverb. Absolutely. You can hear reverb on everything. Go and clap your hands, whatever. See, this is a prerequisite because I don't hear reverb really ever unless I'm like thinking about it or unless it's like, wow, that was really echoey. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Well, I mean, in an empty arena, you'll hear the reverb. That's usually the first thing I'll do is walk in and just try and get a feel for it. You know, see, look around, see if there's anything that I know is going to be a problem. If there's a big flat wall behind me or something, I know that there's going to be reflections bouncing back at the band and that type of thing. Just kind of get a lay of the land, you know, first thing in the morning. And then it's time to set up, which in detail for me means tipping a console, usually mixing console gets cased up every night and then it has to be uncased the next day and you plug everything back in. And you're in front of house, which like I know to us, we know where that is. But for somebody who's never done this before, you've loaded all your gear in and then you bring it to pretty much the middle of the arena floor. Like like if you've ever seen somebody at a festival who's blocking your view, they're like, why do they put the tent in the middle of the crowd? What is going on? I want to see the stage. That's Nate. He's the guy. I'm the guy blocking your view. But there's a reason. I mean, maybe you can talk to why you're right there and then. Well, basically, as front of house mixer, you're mixing for the crowd. So as opposed to a monitor mixer who's mixing for the band, the front of house mixer needs to hear what the crowd's going to hear. So the best way to do that is to put yourself in the crowd. And, you know, usually that means centering yourself between the speakers so you can kind of hear everything that's going on on both sides in a stereo mix. Yeah, just basically trying to, to make it sound the best everywhere or as many places as you can anyway. Yeah. So you're setting everything up. So you set up the speakers, you set up the councils, and then you kind of, you have to do what's called tuning the PA, correct? Tuning the PA, yeah. So that usually consists of running what's called pink noise through, you love that, don't you? Isn't it static? Yeah, it's static. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah. But what that does is it allows us to measure with usually software what the PA sounds like in that room, like down to a tenth of a frequency. You know, like it's crazy how fine you can get this stuff. It's crazy. But yeah, basically you run pink noise through the PA, measure it, make sure that it's there's nothing crazy sticking out. And then you listen to a couple of songs, something that you're familiar with. You know, it can be something that you always tune a PA with or something that you've been listening to a lot lately. What's your song? I know. Uh, there's a song by the 1970s. 75 called Ugg. I love that song. That's a great one to, to tune a PA with. There's a No Doubt song too, right? Or Gwen Stefani. No, that was uh, Babo used to tune with that. Uh, wow, Neil. Nate's offended. No, that's usually after Neil's up is when Babo would be tuning. Yeah, that's why I would hear it is because I would be like still hanging out on stage. And I'm like, God, the fucking Gwen Stefani song. Nate shares the same feelings as you. Well, it's funny because like you hear you hear these same songs every single day. And, and in the beginning, you're like, yeah, this song's sick. OK, you're like vibing out to it. And then like the 400th day on tour, you're like, I'll fucking kill whoever's playing the song right now. <laughs>
Also, the the opposite of that happens sometimes. I find when you hear something over and over and over and over and over again every single day, it's like you find yourself singing it even though yeah. you don't want to. You're like mad at yourself. You're like, stop liking it. You're like, ah. And it's like, yeah. So, yeah, that's basically tuning the PA is you're just adjusting EQ based on songs that you know. And then it's you know, at that point, I'll usually go up on stage and try and help out the monitor engineer who is usually in charge of miking up all the instruments on stage. So I'll go up there and try and help make sure that everything's, you know, looking right and then get ready for sound check. And sound check is sometimes easy and sometimes not easy. What's that mean? Well, so it can mean a lot of things. Sometimes it's that the artist doesn't want to come in for sound check. And so everyone's not pointing any fingers here or anything. You're waiting for an hour, hour and a half to get sound check started. <laughs> Neil's just left. <laughs> uh-huh. Sometimes it means that, you know, there's like ordinances in place about sound that you just literally you can't make sound, you know, until six o'clock, which pushes everyone's day back. Not only you and the artist, but also all the other artists who are supposed to be sound checking that day. But some days it just goes off great. Everything just happens the way that it should. Like the virtual sound check days where there's no artists. Virtual involved. sound check days are great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I would take a real band over virtual sound check every single day. And I'm very fortunate, honestly, with most of the artists that I work with, you know, they want to come in and sound check, you know, they're either rehearsing or they just care enough about the way that they sound that it's like, okay, well, I'll give, you know, 45 minutes of my day up to go do this thing that's going to make everything better later. Depends on where we're at in the tour, where how excited I am to go up there and sound check. I get bummed when there's no sound check because as a photographer, it's like a really big time for me to get a lot of Is this of an intervention? Like what the hell's happening here, guys? <laughs> <laughs> All like have 17 other people come in the chat and they're like, Neil, so whenever shows come back. <laughs> no, God, no. Neil, you're actually one of the first people up there riffing, listening to your tone and stuff, which I, is one thing I love about you as a guitar player, as an artist is, you know, I can always count on you being like, you know, something, something weird with my guitar and then just try and fix it, you know, make sure that everything's as perfect as it can be. I'm sure it can be as cool or, and as annoying at the same exact time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really fast. Can we establish the purpose of soundcheck? I know this sounds ridiculous, but we just said that you do soundcheck, but what do you do during soundcheck? So soundcheck is when the band comes in and plays through a song or two usually to just test everything, make sure all the microphones and cables are working, nothing's broken, and also to hear what it sounds like in the room and try and make any adjustments that need to be made. So during that time, you're listening to what they're playing and then you're, this is the first time you get to have that band up there and kind of be like, oh, the snare is too loud or, you know, obviously I don't know the specifics of it. No, no, that's, it's usually that the snare's too loud, actually. <laughs> Turn the snare down. That's kind of like your first chance, like you say, to, to make any adjustments to the mix according to what you're going to be hearing that day. You know, virtual sound check's great to get kind of a, a bird's eye view of it. But once you actually get musicians up there making noise, it's kind of a different beast because you have sound coming off the stage that's also making a difference. That's kind of a term, making noise, right? Yeah, you can only make noise at a certain time. You know, like there's certain times you can't make noise. Ah, uh, yes. Well, the thing is, too, is, you know, this is the time to do it. Soundcheck is the time to check all these things and make the changes that you need because you don't want to do it when people are in the, in the building. You don't want to do it when people who have come to the show are there to be like, I want to have this experience. You want to be ready so when they walk in the door, every part of that show is as you intended it to be. 
Yeah, no, you're right. You know, I think that's kind of something that sets artists and crews apart, you know, from that kind of higher level versus the lower level is a lot of times at some of these small shows and low budget shows, you'll hear sound checks happening right before the band starts, you know? So they're moving equipment and the next band comes up and you start hearing the kick drum, boom, 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 snare, you know, everything you go through each of those individual instruments in front of the audience. Whereas, you know, when you're trying to operate at that higher level, you don't want the audience to hear anything until the intro or the first downbeat or, you know, whatever the first part of the show is. So yeah, you're right. That's a very important part of soundcheck is just making sure that everything's good for the actual show. Because it's like once you get in there, everything that happens is on purpose most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> Some artists, like, they want it to seem like it's, like, unintentional. They'll, like, have feedback and, like, like they'll roll an intro that seems, like, unintentional. But most everything that happens is planned. It's run through and checked at soundcheck so that it's like, oh, this does work. We are going to go up here and look and sound great and be confident. That's the other thing, too, is, like, the soundcheck kind of gives confidence to everyone in the band and crew. I can walk out on stage. I'm going to look like a bad badass you know you hope to feel that way like when you're up there you know because you need that you need that confidence to go out and play the show that you hope to give to the people that paid money to to come see whatever music or art that you're creating yeah and it's also it's a good time for the band to kind of interface with all the creative sides of the production so not only sound for sound check but also that's a time when the artist will come up a lot of times and you know make adjustments to any video or any of that kind of stuff or you know hey let the lighting guy know hey this thing was right in my eyes last night we can't have that again tonight you know so that's all the people who don't normally interface with the band during the show sound check is a great time for the band to do that we always joked earlier about how the band never hears what's happening you know with front of house so we don't know if it's a good show or not but nate was saying like you can go out there and talk to the crew you can really be like hey can we play that back what we just recorded and really go over what needs to change in that moment and that's i think that's one of my favorite parts of soundcheck is getting to communicate directly with those people and work through things in the moment and really having that open line of conversation and that's really when it happens the most i feel like because after the show everyone's tired ready to get out of there and so before the show that's really a good time to have that conversation with whoever you are touring with whether you're on the artist side or on the crew side you need to fix those things that are kind of if they need to be fixed that's the time to do it and that's the time to talk about it it might be different for other artists or you know maybe that's mostly that time for most artists i don't know neil you'd have to say but that's a thing to pay attention to when you're on tour as crew is like you have this thing you need to get done but when you get it done is very important because everybody has so much to do during the day and certain mindsets they need to be in especially an artist like to make a really blunt example you don't want to go tell the artist that something's wrong right before they go on stage like obviously you would never do that but there's a lot of things that aren't so crystal clear and neil's kind of telling you right now that this is a good time to talk to the artist about this for most artists and so that's something to think about when you're on tour with somebody. It's like, when do I do these things? It's like, well, if something went wrong the night before, too. Like, you don't want to walk in when they're in the heat of the moment. I know that, like, people on our crew have experienced this before, like, where something went wrong with the guitar and my guitar tech walks in right after we get off stage. And I'm like, what the fuck, bro? You know, like, you don't because, like, you get off stage, and your adrenaline's going and everyone involved is going to say things they don't mean. And if you can avoid those things and you can kind of go into it with a level head and talk to them, like, let's say at a sound check when things are not escalating 
escalated to the level of adrenaline that happens after a live show, you're really going to be able to be more efficient in your problem solving. You're going to be really more efficient in getting things done in a way that's actually working rather than like fighting or, or yelling at each other or, or saying things you both don't mean in the heat of the moment. Neil, if you ever need a tech, like for some reason, like your tech doesn't work with you anymore, you just be like, yes, go listen to this podcast first, the whole thing, because it's everything that I do and need. Is that what this is all about? Yeah. Are just- you trying to fire me? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, never. Just, Hopefully and, and, you and, never don't work for us. I will do anything in my power to make sure that you, you work for us for the rest of your existence. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. I would love that if that happened. Yes, uh, if me too. If we ever get to tour again. <laughs> Same. I just want to tell a story that is related to Kaplan because this is a story that he told me that kind of goes with like when and how you do stuff. And Kaplan, for people who don't know, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, but was a data member's sound guy for a long time and he passed away unfortunately and that's when nate stepped in but prior he to work for snoop dogg and he would always tell me this story he's like yo i love working for snoop dogg but i can never hang out with him before the show or talk to him about anything because he'd always pass me a blunt and i would get <laughs> too high and i couldn't do my job and you have to smoke the blunt when snoop dogg gives you the blunt so i would just avoid him for the full day until we were done with the show and i thought that was so funny it's like how can you say no to snoop dogg about smoking weed you have to you avoid can. him he's like man i never see kaplan before we go on stage <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's out there just full on panic mode at the at the start of the show. He's like he wants to go to catering. He's like, where's Snoop at? Peeking around the corner. <laughs> he's back there. Anyone got eyes on Snoop? It's, you probably smell it before you see him, to be honest, with how often I, he smells. I guarantee backstage just smells like weed. Like Jeff just wakes up. He's like, yep, I'm on tour. Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of being very preemptive, Adam, Nate, why don't you tell us what happens before doors? Usually for me, all that happens before doors is I get dinner and then I usually get a call over my radio from the production manager or the tour manager saying, hey, can you please put on some what we call walk-in music, which is just the music that you hear when you walk into. I know this for a fact because I've thought this when I was young. Who gets to decide what that music is? Uh, Usually I do. There's been occasions where an artist has said, hey, I have this playlist that I want you to play. But, you know, usually it's kind of like, you know, I'll ask the band, hey, you know, is there anything you want to play? And they'll give me a couple of of examples of stuff that, you know, they want to hear right before they go on and then pass that. It's kind of up to my discretion or or the production manager. I know that we're like kind of pains when it comes to music right before we play, but there's a method to the madness. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like that song that we do right before you guys go on. That's I'm just prepared for that. I know that, you know, usually I'm going to get a call right about the time that we're supposed to start the show. That's going to say, hey, play that song. So I've just got it on deck, just ready to go. So that's what happens before doors. Doors happen. People are let in. You don't have to take care of anything. Like I know it's for other techs. This time it's been their personal time. Do you have anything you need to take care of between doors and the show other than music or not really? Um, I mean, sometimes there's things that come up, you know, during that time that I have to take care of. You know, an example would be if an artist has, you know, a radio thing, an acoustic thing or something like that, and they just need help with something, you know, there's the occasional thing like that that'll come up. But the majority of the time that's my downtime for the day, you know, is after we get doors open, I've got a few hours to chill. I'll usually walk out and listen to the opening bands a little bit, see if there's anything that sounds weird in the room that I know is going to be a problem for me. But that's just kind of my time to, you know, have me time. The calm before the storm. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, there's that aspect of, you know, occasionally you get those big shows where like that's you're building nerves, you know, that it's like, oh, man, this is going to be I, I can't fuck this up tonight, <laughs> you know, so. 
So good to have that time to just kind of like calm yourself. Meditate. I was going to ask. Meditate, you know, whatever you want to do. Do you do anything specific for like kind of self-care that kind of takes place in this time or is it? Yeah, I'll usually call my wife and, you know, just have quiet time. You know, this is like Adam, you mentioned a minute ago, this is time when a lot of the techs are busy doing stuff in preparation for the show. So it's usually an empty bus at this point. So that's kind of, you'll usually find me after doors open is getting some peace and quiet, get some self-care in on the empty bus, get some self-care in, you know, watch a little family guy or whatever. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, sure. I love everybody loves Raymond. Do you really? Yeah. Okay. It and Malcolm in the middle are like the best. I do love Malcolm in the middle. It's so good. I didn't get it at first. And then I like after the show had ended, just started watching it on reruns. I'm like, this show is brilliant. It's the show before Breaking Bad. He's the same character. I've thought about that before. You saw that scene he shot, right? For that? Yeah. The reason I even said that is just because there was like this theory where people like linked the fact that he was in a different life and like a witness protection program or something like that. And that's what Malcolm in the Middle is, is like him. I guess it's after Breaking Bad, maybe or something like that. But like he makes a joke and plays on that like Internet theory. That's funny. Anyway, so so these are the time that we come up with these theories, you know, after doors, before the show starts, we're in our bus coming up with these conspiracy theories, watching television shows. This is when I text you and I'm like, hey, you want to go get food? And you're like, I no, I can't. I'm not going. No, I'm like, please. This is usually the time where I'm like, this is the only time I get alone all day. So, you know, self-care. OK, well, you're getting ready for the most important part of the day, which, well, arguably is the show, which can be anxiety inducing. But luckily, we've just gone through all the things you do in preparation to kind of set yourself up for a seamless show. However, I know that, you know, you have to put out fires as they happen on the show. Can you explain what it's like going into showtime and then what you're looking for, what's going through your head while the band's on stage or the artists are performing? Just help somebody understand who's never done sound what it feels like to kind of be in control of that beast. At first, it's like a little nerve wracking, you know, like you said, anxiety inducing that big responsibility, like five to 10 minutes right before, you know, the show is going to happen. There's a little bit of that, like, all right, you know, get yourself psyched up and, you know, probably similar to anyone else who's performing that show. I get a little nervous about it sometimes, but usually it's like, once I hear that first beat, you know, and I know that there's no problems. That's like, okay, you know, that's when you can relax and start having fun with it, you know, which I love my job. I love mixing. I love, like say, being in control of that huge beast. And so that's like the biggest relief when I know that it's not going to come out of the gate sounding awful, you know, then it's like, okay, I can spend the rest of the time, you know, first, like you said, putting out fires, anything that I hear that's wrong or, you know, doesn't quite sound right, then I'm trying to fix that. And then after that, it's like just trying to make it better and better and better and better throughout the show, you know, just turn up the mix and then sit back and watch the band play it's like i'm constantly for whatever it is an hour and a half or so trying to improve on what's there oh it's like a dance right you know like as the different songs happen like you know like there's going to be like a delay throw or something that you have to like kind of go and turn up or or like send something to a certain channel or pan something a certain way and you know going back to the performance aspect of it yeah there's you know i work in congress with the band you know where it's like you come to a certain part in the show i come to that same point and then yeah like you say i have an effect that I put on there or I know that I'm going to need to turn Jeremy down in this part because he gets real loud or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, there's that constant kind of ebb and flow 
of the band performing, front of house doing its thing, and then also stuff going wrong, you know, because there's constantly drums are getting detuned, mics fall off, you know, whatever it is. You're just kind of constantly doing the dance. It's such an interesting thing, too, because I feel like you guys are all also performing. And it is one of those things where it's like, it's such a cool thing, too, because when the show ends and everyone has that show that, like, just is awesome, you all get to, like, kind of enjoy it in time together. Like, before Loadout, like, everyone kind of is, like, like we walk off stage and, like, everyone's kind of backstage, whatever. And you just see that moment that everyone's like, yes, that is exactly what we're here to do. It's that little serotonin, that little victory that you were talking about earlier. As the band member, you probably don't know this, but... But 90% of those crew members are trying to walk by and just be like, okay, are they cool? Did they have as good a show as I did? I hope so. Like, as long as there's no yelling coming from that dressing room, like, all right, it's cool. It was good. Just text me. I'm like your inside scoop there. Just ask me. I'll let you know. Adam's like, don't go near there. Yeah, yeah. I'll just text you a number, one through 100. Uh-huh. As a fan, when should I ask you for your uh, set list? After the show, actually, the smart ones will get me like during that point between the end of the set and the encore. Someone will come up and be like, hey, hey, can I get the set list? I'll be right here. And they'll actually wait right there for it. I'll usually give it to them. Nice. If I see someone, obviously, I don't see the people in the front of the crowd. They're too far away. But if I see someone like seriously giving it, they're all singing, you know, all the songs, rocking out, whatever it is, I usually try and get a set list to them. Yeah. Like you're making somebody's night, you know, that's a fun feeling. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it's a small thing that I can do to feel that, you know, the way that the band probably feels it. the whole show, everyone just like, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. We've said this before too, but you are an extension of whatever artist you're working for and doing those little things really does kind of set the bar that much higher for whatever show that this fan came to and, and doing those little things for people really makes a difference. I've noticed that. And I noticed that like whenever I talk to fans and they're like, you know, I was like front of stage and I asked the guitar tech for a pick and he was really nice to me. He gave me like a guitar pick. He gave me a, a set list. It makes all the difference in the world. And, and it may not be that much to you but to them it's everything and that's really cool oh man i'm a fan you know i think we've all been there you know everyone's a fan you go to a show you finally see your favorite band and then you walk away with the set list and you're like how did this happen i got it you know it's i'm one of those people who was chosen you know i am the chosen i've been there i've had that happen you know and it's like i can't give them what an artist gives them but that's cool to be able to give them that little piece of the show it all builds on each other and the show couldn't happen without the crew those moments of that elevated feeling of like everyone got to see the show but whenever the crew members are nice to people that come and and when they kind of like do those little things and go above and beyond it really just takes it to that next level and it's super important like you're saying yeah i agree and i also think that being a crew member myself i can tell you that that's a direct reflection of the boss you know if an artist has that vibe or specifically says hey you know we're going to take care of everyone you know if just that feeling on tour of you know we're here for the fans or we're here for the supporting bands or whatever it is you know that a direct reflection the way that the crew treats those people you know because like say i've been lucky enough to work with artists who actually care about that type of thing you know there's the occasional artist who doesn't and you can see it all over you know guitar text just like cursing at people when they're asking for picks or you know that type of thing it's like you can definitely see what kind of artist you're working with by the crew yeah i agree hats off to you and hats off to our entire crew we've been fortunate enough to work with some of the nicest most accommodating people i think in the business yeah 
I, it just makes it touring that much easier because again i'll say this till i'm blue in the face but it's all a family it all matters you are a massive team that are all working together to get things done and like for instance like loadout it happens after the show's over everyone working together is going to make that happen so much better and easier and like because it's like if you have those people that are like they're on their own team and they're like you know i'm done with my show walk away it's kind of makes specifically things like loadout or load in that much harder yeah well and loadout in particular is the time that no one wants to work you know you've finally got the show over with the the whole day has been building up to this point and it's like you just want to like take a breath and be like okay we did it you know pat yourself on the back you know high fives and stuff but that's a time when everyone really has to pull their weight i've been guilty of it myself almost every person i think on any crew has been guilty of oh yeah that moment where you're like i can't do it tonight you know i've had an awful show or i'm sick or whatever it is and you know if you're lucky enough you've got people around you who will kind of pick up the slack and be like all right dude this is your mulligan yeah (laughs) you can take tonight off but tomorrow you better be back well it's like what exactly during loadout is so hard like what do you do what are the responsibilities that you have during loadout i personally will tear down all my own gear so like i usually i'll have a console that i rent which is huge and heavy you know i'll have racks full of gear out there that I'm responsible for, you know, so that means tearing it all down, wrapping up cables, all that kind of thing, and then pushing the stuff out to the truck, which is sometimes you know, nice and easy, nice arena floor. Sometimes you're pushing it through gravel or dirt or, you know. Like warp tour, super Like fun. warp tour, exactly. It's a huge pain to push a 700 pound <laughs> rat case through gravel, you know, even with five guys or whatever, it sucks. It's like, say the time when you want to just chill, you want to be done with it, but you have to really kind of step it up and, and help everyone. Yeah, it's that moment in the race where it's like, you can see the finish line and a lot of people would just start to take it easy, but it's like, you really just need to push through it and like kind of get there. And, you know, so you can get on the bus and like enjoy that after show food, enjoy that time, like kind of hanging out, relaxing, taking it easy. I can only imagine. I mean, I know that like, that's the other thing too. Like when you go and work on a crew, it's not like a nine to five. It's a lot of work from the moment you wake up to the time you go to sleep. And a lot of times you're going to get woken up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, the bus broke down or like, you know, whatever. You're at a border checkpoint. And it's like, you know, you just have all these things that it's like, it's a constant, you're getting stuff thrown at you and those little moments like after show you can kind of relax and kind of sit there and unwind and but especially if everyone is pulling their weight yes at that time is like everyone can go on the bus and chill you know everybody can have that beer or whatever they want to do after the show what's your chill routine i used to have some whiskey but i've quit drinking so congratulations respect yeah thank you hey you know what i really like i don't know if if quit drinking is sometimes i know more strict for some people than others but kombucha does have a small amount of alcohol but that's a really fun thing that i do that's kind of more healthy as like my relaxation i'm only drinking 36 kombuchas today and i'm just like (laughs) i've quit it i've quit alcohol and i feel great and also i've pooped twice not on the bus though not on the bus it's fine but kombucha is really nice and it's you know or i'll make like my own soda with soda stream you're like really getting crazy you're like i'm gonna make a cream soda tonight i like that that's pretty cool i always like kind of find like as i've gotten older (laughs) yes it's true i know i'm still as handsome as ever but no but as i've gotten older like finding those little things that you can like unwind that's like aren't destructive it's like so much better for the longevity i know we've talked about that like twice today i feel like i listened to like three clubhouses earlier where we 
talked about longevity or something. I just used the word a bunch. Starting those habits and doing those things that kind of like make the next day easier. It's like you're doing yourself and everyone around you a favor for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Man, I'll tell you what, you know, loading in at 7 a.m. on blacktop when it's 100 degrees and you're hungover, not fun. I don't even like living when I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't drink at all. So if I get hungover, I'm like, why do I what? None of this is fun. It didn't taste good. I didn't feel good. And I still don't feel good. Yeah. It sounds like you shouldn't drink. And I cried in a graveyard last night in France. Okay. That was a real thing that happened. <laughs> I just take the pictures, so it's nice. Yeah, I got emotional, and then I broke a table. Whatever, dude. You've never been to Hellfest unless you've eaten out of a shark. Oh, my God. This is all real. Like, these things sound absolutely crazy to say, but they're fucking accurate Mate, as fuck. Have you done, we've done Hellfest with you, right? Have you been to catering where they had the shark there, and you, your food is served out of a dead shark? I have never seen that personally. I have been to Hellfest, and they, they usually have crazy catering. I've never seen... I'll have the vegan option, and they're like, sir, it's in the shark's mouth. <laughs> You're like, uh, okay, <laughs> thank you. I'll go out and eat in the crowd. I'll find if a falafel. If there's one thing I want to come back fast, and I know like Brexit messed it up, COVID messed it up, but I just want to do like the European festival run. It's the most fun run. It really is. So many off days, so many weird places. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of stress on those for, you know, logistical reasons, but my God, man, those are some of the best shows, huge fun crowds. And like you say, days off at amusement parks in Finland. And Oh yeah, I went to an amusement park with nate in uh, helsinki me nate shelna and uh, charlie right yeah that was fun also you actually organized my favorite day off i've ever had we did that mountaineering thing and um canyoning yeah interlocking interlocking yeah it's funny because everybody went on it except neil except for me oh you didn't go well you know no it was uh i actually did something that was like equally as badass like i'm like horribly horribly afraid of heights like i would have had a lot of trouble going and doing that with you guys and i would have loved to like do all the stuff that you did but i went like and jumped off the highest mountain there and so equally like it was like as horrifying for me you did the the hang gliding thing right yes and it was fucking i almost shit myself every time i go there i see those people i'm like i have to do that this time and i will say it's absolutely worth it and if they ask you if you want to do the fun way or the safe way down choose safe way please because <laughs> you know i've seen a video of neil's fun way it's funny i didn't know i'm like horrified of this shit like i don't like the feeling of falling that's the thing that freaks me out nobody does and then the guy's like do you want to go to the fun way or the safe way and I'm like just the first words out of my mouth fun way and I'm like who are you like what the like I immediately had this conversation in my head it was like a, a millisecond conversation of like who the fuck are you and what the fuck's going on and then all of a sudden we're upside down like I don't even know how to explain it you're in a parachute so like obviously you need to be falling to kind of like push the air to push against the thing to keep you in the air the guy fucking goes upside fucking down and I'm like hey <laughs> you hear i'm like probably like scared half the people in that grassy town square area yeah where you, you land oh you know how loud i am like i was screaming as loud as i fucking humanly possible it was uh, yeah that interlocking <laughs> has had the best off days ever we've done canyoning we did the ropes course also i think you went to that nate right yep yeah that was cool we've also gotten four-wheelers motorcycles jumping in the freezing lake and then we also did we ran around in the mountains where there's like cows and stuff and we rented bikes we rented electric bikes and we've gotten some nice food there. There's one other thing I'm forgetting, but I forget it because we've been there three times. I think we've done every tourist option. Oh, we did a helicopter ride to the mountain. You're going to have to get into the seedy underground of Interlock in the next time. Like you've done all the 
all the above board stuff. So you're going to have to seek out the black market and interlocking. Neil, do you remember when our tour manager was like, oh, rock club. I got a great rock club. My wife listens to this, Nate. It was a rock. We go to it and we're like, all right, let's leave. It was terrible. Oh, rock bar. <laughs> he's like, yeah, dude, there's a pretty rad bar here. And we're like, oh, like he's like, it's called rock bar. And like, he always went to these bars. that were like rock bars that would play like, there'd be like one really smelly guy sitting at the bar. And you're like, how did you get from the last rock bar we were at? That was like 700 miles away to this one like you know like in pokemon there's like the pokemon center lady and she's at every single one her name's joy anyways so she um well there's a rock bar guy and he smells the same and he's requesting the worst fucking music it's like you're at a rock bar and you're listening to the same fucking metal song that no one's ever heard before it has the same riff for seven hours straight but anyways we were like yeah oh rock bar that sounds really boring and stupid uh we'll go try it out and it was actually called rock bar and there was the same guy was there also and it was underground it was underground that guy you don't know this but that guy is your truck driver <laughs> oh hey larry uh good to see you again i didn't oh you're on this tour okay i'm an asshole i'll see myself out thanks i found the bar it's not called rock bar i think it was called crazy mary yeah i married her I'm looking for an underground. Maybe that's wrong, but we have gone to some good restaurants there. I've also gone to Hooters three times in the same day with you guys there. I was going to say like Hooters is like considered like one Michelin star restaurant interlocking. Okay. So there's actually two things that we have to do. All right. Hit them with it, Neil. When you're on tour, do you wear shower shoes? No. I mean, I used to, you know, when I very first started touring, that was one thing that people were like, you got to bring flip flops. Don't step in the shower without them. And so I spent like, you know, I did like a year probably of wearing shower shoes and then after that, I'm like, nah, man, it's fine. Then you grew up and you became an adult. Also, you know, I don't look at my feet. I don't know what's going on down there. Same. I don't even wash my legs in the shower. I just like wash the top and let the like soapy water just hit the lower half. I'm like, it's good. Let gravity do its thing. I started using soap in my mid 20s. <laughs> <laughs> The whole entire second warp tour I went on, I didn't take a shower, I don't think. Was that the one that David didn't drink water? Yeah, actually. Was that like a bet? The one that David didn't drink water was the year after. But the reason I didn't take a shower is because it was actually cleaner to not get in the shower that warp tour provided than to get in the shower that they provided. You get dirtier doing this. It felt like it. I'm not even joking. The one warp tour that I did, I thought it was the most brilliant thing. There was like, you know, you know how they do the rows of buses. And then there's like these three vans that were on that tour. And I always felt like those people. People were just living the hardest life except for shower time. They had these solar showers that they just like open up their van doors and like cover themselves up and get in their shower. And they had a nice clean shower to take every day. That was the one cool thing about having a bandwagon is that they had showers on them. That is pretty good. There's those few buses that you run into with showers, but I'm always kind of like, yeah, they got mold problems and shit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, it's like every time, like, so we were friends with Devil Wars Prada and they always had the shower bus, but then halfway through the warp tour, it turned from the shower into the extra closet where they would like hang their fucking like show clothes in. And like, you'd like walk through like the bathroom and it would just smell like shit. Oh God. Yeah. And you're like, that's like, what is that? They're like, we don't wash our show clothes. It's like good juju. I'm like, that's not good anything. Yeah. I used to tour with a band that we all shared a bandwagon together and the bandwagon shower became the show clothes closet. And it was like, whoever was in those back bunks, like right next to that bathroom was just fucked. 
it smelled like sour feet. It was terrible. Yummy. Sour feet. Can we say thank you first? Thank you, Nate. <laughs> Thanks for hanging today, dude. We appreciate you. We really do. Thank you. I miss you guys. It's good to see your faces. I miss you too, man. It's really good to see that you're uh, handling this pandemic with positivity and you're in a cooler situation. You built your house and congratulations on all that. And yeah, thank you. Tell the wife I said hello and I will. hope she's doing well. And she loves concert photography as well. And she does. It's how I met her. Did you find her in the photos I sent you? Oh, you know what? I forgot to look, actually. You sent me those and I, I was like, oh, I'll look in those later. And then I got busy and totally forgot. I will look tonight, though. He was probably like reframing his entire house like at that moment. Exactly. I took pictures of the lobby of where we were traveling. I think there's photos of him and his future wife conversing for the first time. What? Well, it was that the party that Amity Affliction threw. Yeah, in Australia. You remember that? Rightfully do not remember. Yeah, okay. I'll send you photos. I have photos of you, Neil. I don't want to see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sent me all those photos. I'll have to check them out. I mean, that's really cool, man. That's like one of the cool things about this situation when you get to travel with a photographer and, you know, take pictures of the band and crew and everything. And like, you get those special moments where in that time you're like, hey, this girl's really rad, but little did you know she'd become your wife and you'd buy a house together and you'd be, it's fucking cool, man. It really is. And again, thank you so much for doing this and thanks for uh, giving us all this amazing insight into what it takes to be a front of house engineer. Hey, how about this? You are still the front of house manager because you're managing all that shit at front of house is all I'm saying. I mean, manager sounds... I'm just gassing you up here, bro. I'll, I'm just... I'll, I'll take it. Front of house tour manager. Front of house CEO. <laughs> Chairman of front of house? Yeah. President. <laughs> President and CEO of front of house, Nate Northway. <laughs> President Northway. I like it. <laughs> and now, straight from Nashville, Kevin Scaff. <laughs> <laughs>